been here uh, since July when we first got back from Papua New Guinea. And uh, it's an interesting time to be back here in the U.S. Well, uh, Pastor Ken asked me to give the message today, and the title of today's message is God's Mission, and the theme is Strategic Alignment in the Great Commissions. There is an S there, and the S is intentional, and that will become apparent as we go forward. The scripture today is Acts 17, 16 through 34, and many other selected scriptures. Well, as I said, it's uh, good to be back here today. Uh, it's good to be back in the U.S. for furlough or home assignment, for those of you who prefer that type of terminology for when mission, missionaries come back to the States. On one hand, there is a great deal to do when you come back after you've been overseas for a while. And for us, a lot of that's been doing partnership development and some training and medical checks, as well as traveling up and down the eastern seaboard from Maine to Florida, visiting various people. And so that's all been very good. On the other hand, there is some time to rest and reflect a little bit. And uh, Kathy and I have had plenty of opportunities to do that while we've been back here as well. And one of the things that we did was we attended a course called the uh, Perspectives on the World Christian Movement course. Now, some of you may be familiar with that course because it was offered here in 2012. In fact, Kathy and I took it back then, and it was one of the many things that God used and was instrumental, really, in us going to Papua New Guinea as full-time missionaries. And so we had the opportunity to do that again while we've been here. This one was down at Hampton Falls Baptist Church. Uh, it's about a 15-week course that deals with the history of missions, among many other things. And it was well worth doing again, so we highly recommend it. And a great deal of what I have to say today actually comes from that course, as well as other things that are rattling around in my head lately. And a lot of those things that are rattling around in my head come from just the fact that we've been away for a while, and coming back to your home country should be really comfortable, and sometimes it's not. And so I've just had a lot of different thoughts going on in my head, and so I'll be sharing some of those with you today. Have any of you ever wondered what your purpose in life is? Yeah, most people have at one point or another in their life. It's a very common thing for young people to consider. You know, what is my purpose in life? What am I supposed to do? And especially young people in high school, you know, where do I go to college? Do I go to college? Do I go into the military? Do I go straight into the workforce? All these things are swirling about in their head and they don't really understand what their purpose in life was. And I was one of those high school students back in the 80s, a long time ago now. <laughs> but my idea back then is I thought I was going to go the college ROTC route. I thought I was going to go to a college that had an ROTC program, and that I would make the military my career, and that I would serve my country in that way. Well, God shut those doors, and he shut them very significantly and very hard, so I knew that that wasn't what I was supposed to do. So I did end up going to college, and I went to a college without an ROTC program, and I met Kathy, who would later become my wife. And so that, of course, has had a very significant impact upon the rest of my life. Later on, I thought, well, you know, I was in college and then in grad school, and I thought, well, maybe I would try to make a career in federal law enforcement. 
Or maybe the intelligence community is an analyst because I was always interested in that type of thing. Well, through a whole series of uh, things that went on, those doors were kind of shut too, and I was guided in a different direction. So what did I do when I came out of school with my bachelor's in history and political science? Well, I ended up taking a job working line-level security. I started at the bottom of the industry, and when I say at the bottom, I really do mean at the bottom. I've stood on lots of different loading docks. But what has happened is that over time, God blessed my career, and he guided me, and eventually I ended up being the head of security for a biotech company, and then after that, for a bank. And so he really guided my steps there. And then he really surprised me. Then he called us to serve full-time as missionaries in Papua New Guinea. You see, I used to say, what use could I have and my skills have in the missions field? And yet God gave me a position that was perfect for me. So now here I am at 51 years of age, and usually I spend most of my time in Papua New Guinea, and I am confident that what I am doing is a call from God. And the best part about it is, all those years leading up to that, God did not waste any of that time. A matter of fact, he never wastes anything. And so today, when I hear people talk about what is my purpose in life, I now look at it in a very different way than I did when I was younger. You see, had I gotten my way when I was younger, my life would be very, very different, and I would not be in alignment with God's plan for my life. And really, we're talking a lot today about alignment. See, when we talk about God's mission in the world, what we really need to be talking about is the church's mission in the world, and then by extension, our mission within the church. You see, if the church's mission and our individual mission are not in alignment with God's mission, then we're wasting our time, and in fact, we're wasting our lives. Some of you may say, well, what is God's mission in the world? Well, God's mission is to spread his glory through all the earth, to restore that broken relationship between God and between human beings, and shalom. Now, some people, when they hear the word shalom, it's mostly uh, translated as peace, and, and that's a, a pretty good translation, but it also carries with it a connotation of wholeness or completeness as well. And so if we're looking to see where this relationship was broken, where this shalom was broken, we can start in Genesis chapter 3. Now many of you, probably most of you, are familiar with the story of Genesis in chapter 3. God creates the heavens and the earth, and he creates man and woman, and he places them in the garden. And when he places them in the garden, he gives them one rule, just one, pretty simple rule, really, and that is that they are not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that is placed in the middle of the garden. Well, we know that the serpent tempted Eve, and Eve saw that the, food, that the apple was good for eating, and it was something that would gain knowledge because the serpent had deceived her in that way. And so she took the apple and she ate it. And Adam, her husband, was there with her, and he did the same thing. And so we have a breaking in relationships. Specifically, what we see 
in Genesis chapter 3 is that the serpent was now cursed above all livestock in that he had to eat dust and crawl on his belly all of his days. That to me is just interesting as a side note that suggests that maybe serpents originally had legs. I don't know, but it's just interesting to me. Enmity or hostility was placed between the serpent and its offspring and all of humankind. And the defeat of the serpent was foretold. Now for Eve, who was deceived by the serpent, she increased pain in childbearing and was made subject to her husband. And Adam, he can't get off the hook either because with full knowledge, he did that which God told him not to do. And for him, work was made more difficult. The ground was cursed and death entered the scene. So what we have in Genesis chapter three is that sin enters into the world through Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve are cast out of the garden. There is a broken relationship between God and humankind, and death now reigns, whereas it did not before. This is the bad news. But thankfully, God chose not to leave human beings in this state. God's plan to restore shalom begins to unfold a little later in the New Testament. In Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, God gives Abraham both a mission and a promise. It says, The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to a land I will show you, and I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. So we see a mission, go from your country, go from your people, go from your father's household to a land I will show you. So when Abram, who was later renamed Abraham, when he left, he didn't know where he was going. He left on faith and went to this land that God showed him. So that was his mission. Well, the promise included three things, land, posterity, and blessing. This is why they call that area the promised land. Posterity, that Abraham would be the father of many nations and that he was blessed to be a blessing to all the peoples of the earth. We can see right from the beginning that mission was a part of God's plan right from the start. And this is the beginning of this restoration, this glory, and this shalom, but it continues. In Exodus 19, verses 3 through 6, on Mount Sinai, God sets apart the nation of Israel as a beacon light pointing toward God. It says, Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So we saw with Abraham, he gave him a mission and a promise. With the nation of Israel, although the entire earth belongs to God, 
he set aside Israel as a treasured or special possession to make them a kingdom of priests. Another way you could put that is he set them up as ambassadors to once again point the way to God. We also see this in Psalm 67. Psalm 67 says, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us so that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. May the peoples praise you, God. May the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you rule the peoples with equity and guide the nations of the earth. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. The land yields its harvest. God, our God, blesses us. May God bless us still so that all the ends of the earth will fear him. We see throughout the Old Testament that God, in trying to spread his glory throughout the earth and restore this relationship with mankind and to restore shalom, is talking about taking his word to the end of the earth. So in summary, in the Old Testament, and I did not cover the entire thing by any stretch of the imagination. Those were just little snapshots. In summary, God creates the heavens and the earth. God creates mankind. Mankind sins, and this results in a broken relationship with God and death entering into the scene. God then blesses Abraham so that he will be a blessing to all nations and sets aside Israel as his treasured possession and a kingdom of priests. Well, one thing I didn't cover that would take quite a bit of time, for those of you who have read about the biblical history of the nation of Israel, whether it be in Judges, 1st or 2nd Samuel, 1st or 2nd Kings, and 1st and 2nd Chronicles, Israel never did fully live up to that mandate to fully meet that covenant. Yes, they had some times of really bright spots, but they also continually fell down quite a bit. And so God's plan continues into the New Testament. Just as Abraham was told to go into a place that he did not know, to leave his country and leave his father's household, and just as the nation of Israel was set aside to be a beacon light pointing our way to God, so too in the New Testament, the church is told to continue this mission. Now, typically when we talk about mission in church, one of the main verses that comes up is Matthew 28, 19 through 20, which is usually known as the Great Commission. And it says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is Jesus telling his disciples, who would become his church, and by extension us, to continue this mission to bring the gospel to all four corners of the earth. But it's not the only place where he says it. And this is why it's not just the Great Commission, it is the Great Commissions. And I'm just going to give you a sampling of other places where this is said. In Matthew 24, 14, Jesus says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. That's very curious to me, because sometimes when you hear people saying, well, when will the last days be? Jesus tells us. He doesn't give us a specific date, and if anyone gives you a specific date, I would be very um, concerned about that, because Jesus doesn't give us a specific date, but he does give us a specific criteria. 
when the word is preached through all the peoples of the earth. And then in Luke 24, 45 through 49 is another great commission. And this is on the road to Emmaus. Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are my witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. So Jesus himself meets two of his disciples walking on the road to Emmaus, and he outlines God's plan for salvation to the entire world. We also see this in John. John chapter 20, verses 21 through 23. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. So Jesus sends out his disciples, and by extension, you and me. But it's not just limited to the Gospels. In Acts 1, verse 8, we read, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So we are given an outline as to how we are to fulfill the great commissions that God has given to us. My point in outlining this history of several thousand years to you this morning is that it is important for us as individuals and it is important for us as a local body of believers to be in strategic alignment with God's plan. And he gives us an outline. Well, where do we start? Well, we start in Jerusalem. Well, where's our Jerusalem? Well, we are Dover Baptist Church, so it's right here, right here in Dover. Ladies and gentlemen, there are plenty of needs right here in Dover. There are plenty of lost people. There are plenty of people who are addicted to things. There are plenty of people who are victimized in various ways, and we as the local church body can reach out and be the hands and feet of Jesus. Well, where's our Judea? Well, that might be other towns surrounding us might be Summersworth or Durham, Exeter, many of the other towns surrounding us, we can also reach out to those people as well. In Samaria, might be the areas even further than that, maybe in Vermont or Maine or Massachusetts. But the point is, we're supposed to be bringing the gospel wherever it is that we go. And the ends of the earth, well, you might consider that to be some of the overseas missions work that the church does. Well, how do we reach these four areas? We have them identified, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. But how do we do that? And I don't have a specific outline right now for how to do that, but I do have a couple of concepts that I think we need to think about and we need to always think about. Whether it is as an individual or as it is with a church, we always need to ask ourselves, are we being effective reaching the lost? And if we're not being effective, how can we be more effective? And unfortunately, churches and individuals tend to run into one of two problems. Either they say, we're going to throw out this thing that really works well because it's not fad or hip anymore. It's not something that people do in our society, even though it works. And that's something that should be avoided. But equally, something that should be avoided is when we say, well, we've never done it like that before, so we can't do it now. We should, as individuals, and we should, as a church body, 
always be looking for ways to be more effective at reaching the lost in our Jerusalem, in our Judea, in our Samaria, and indeed to the ends of the earth. Well, as individuals, we also have this outline. Our Jerusalem is our family. Now, I don't know about any of you, but there are some people in Kathy and I's family who are not saved. There are some people who think that we are absolutely crazy for giving up corporate jobs in the U.S., or at least for me, in a teaching job that Kathy loved here in the U.S., to go and live overseas. Frankly, a lot of them think that we're having a midlife crisis and we should just buy the red sports car. <laughs> they really do. But we know, because we have the truth of God's word, that we need to be obedient to, that word, to, to God's word, and he called us to do that. And so we need to reach out to our family. Everyone in our family and all of our families should know where we stand and why we stand there. Well, Judea. Judea could be our friends. Once again, I don't know about you all, but Kathy and I have a number of friends who are not Christians, who are not saved. And being missionaries is interesting. It opens up questions, and they will ask gentle questions, and it gives us some chance to, uh, to witness to them. For some people, it might be their uh, Samaria might be their coworkers. Now, I'm not suggesting that all of you spend all of your time at work witnessing to people because you'll be fired. You're there to do your work. That's why your employer is employing you. But where you have the opportunity, you should be able to witness to people as to why you have the hope that you have. And then our ends of the earth as individuals would be strangers that we meet as we go along. Well, how do we reach each of these circles? Well, in Acts 17, 16 through 34, Paul gives us a little bit of an example here. In Acts 17, verse 16, it says, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. In other words, Paul was paying attention and Paul recognized a need right up front. Well, how did he do that? I mean, some people are more aware than other people. Well, Paul was able to do this because Paul was familiar with the word of God. Paul was in communion with God daily in prayer. Paul was observant, and here's a real important one. Paul was willing. There's often times when Christians can be knowledgeable and yet not take that first step to talk to somebody. So it's important to be willing. Beyond that, though, he also related to the culture. And he related to the culture. You can see in verse 23, Paul mentions this statue to the unknown God. So he points to something in the Athenian culture right there, and he relates it to the gospel to give these people something to kind of grasp onto as he's trying to bring this new idea to them. He also, in verse 28, relates to Athenian writers. We all know something about our own culture, and when we're speaking to people cross-culturally, it's good to be able to know something about their culture so that you can share with them. Otherwise, you're kind of going like this all the time. And so it's important to do that. Well, what other ways might be we be able to meet people and witness people to people in all four of those areas? One would be meeting physical needs. Okay, so here's the thing. All of us probably know somebody who has some sort of a physical need. And as much as we are able to, as individuals as in a church body, we need to be able to help people solve those physical needs and practically meet people where they are. 
So, you know, you might be helping someone to move or something like that, and you don't really feel like you're sharing the gospel, but that might op- open up opportunities so that people will ask you about why you're doing things like that. And we need to make the most of other opportunities. Have you ever been in a conversation with someone and you're having this conversation about a particular topic and they'll make some comment that has absolutely nothing to do with the conversation? It kind of floats around here like a satellite. I call that a satellite comment. And that's a comment where someone, what they have on their mind is leaking through into their conversation. You know the interesting thing about that? They're never an accident. They might not be conscious, but they're never an accident. That person wants to talk to you about something. Don't ignore those satellite comments, because if you do ignore them, you might be ignoring a felt need of theirs. Maybe you can talk to them about something that's bothering them. Maybe you can help them in some physical way. Maybe by doing those things, you can earn the right to speak into their life about Jesus Christ. So it is important to be able to do that. Now, one thing we have to remember, brothers and sisters, is that we have the truth of Jesus Christ. It's not because we're particularly special, by the way. It's because of the grace of God. And we know that the biblical truth is exclusive. And that's not a word that people usually like to hear in terms of the Bible, but it is exclusive. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through the Son. And when he said no one, I believe that he meant no one. Jesus is the only way to heaven, the only way to salvation. He is the only one who, in dying for our sins, could pay the price of all of our individual sins that we have committed, are committing now, and will commit in the future. His claim is an exclusive claim, and we need to wrap our heads around that, and we need to not apologize for that, but engage the world and tell them this and do it in a way that is loving. Well, arrayed against this biblical truth, though, there are a number of false teachings that the world has bought into, and I'm only going to talk about three of them today, but there are probably hundreds. One big one is universalism. Universalism is the idea that everybody goes to heaven no matter what they have done or what they believe. It is a very common belief in America and elsewhere today. Now, there's a lot of problems with universalism, but the foundational problem with universalism is it accepts injustice. It basically means that there's no need for salvation because human beings make up their own salvation. Because if everyone goes to heaven, there's no need to read the scriptures. There's no need to believe upon Jesus Christ. So that is its biggest problem right there. Another one that we see sometimes is pluralism. This is also very common. And this is characterized by people saying things like, well, you know, you believe in Jesus, and I believe in something else, and that works for you, but it doesn't work for me. That's just a logical fallacy. You see, Jesus himself claims to be the only way to heaven. That is very evident throughout Scripture. So something cannot be a contradiction to itself. If all paths lead to God, then none of them do, because Jesus says that he is exclusive. And so the thing is that pluralism just doesn't work. You cannot simultaneously have Jesus be the only way to heaven and be one of many ways. It just logically does not make sense. Jesus himself said that narrow is the gate that leads to salvation, and few find it, and broad is the gate that leads to destruction, 
and many people find it. Another one that's a little less common, but I've heard some people say it, is they want to kind of have it both ways. They say, yes, Jesus paid the price for everyone's sin, even people who don't know him and don't believe on him. Well, once again, that flies in the face of Scripture. But the bigger problem for me, the more logical problem to that is, why did the apostles suffer so much if everyone was saved anyway? Why do people in the universal church today suffer so much bringing God's word to the ends of the earth if everyone was already saved? It really just doesn't make sense. In fact, if Jesus' crucifixion, his death and his resurrection were universal to those who don't believe, if that was true, then we don't need to be sitting here today. And there certainly isn't any need for missions, be they local or overseas. So inclusivism does not work. It is only those who know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior who have accepted his death and resurrection, who have repented from their sins and who follow him who are saved. It's not people who don't believe in him who are saved. We have to understand this And as I have outlined the mission of God today, that being bringing his glory throughout the ends of the earth, that being the restoration of the relationship between God and man, and that being the restoration of shalom, we need to understand that the mission of church is missions. Not necessarily all overseas. Many of them are right here in our Jerusalem, right here in Dover, New Hampshire. They might be in our Judea, our towns next door. They might be in Samaria, or they might be in the ends of the earth. So, my brothers and sisters, I encourage you to grow where you're planted, because where you're placed is where your mission field is today. Tomorrow it may be somewhere else. I never envisioned that I would be in Papua New Guinea. Not in a million years would I have ever envisioned that, but that is where God has placed me. Make no mistake, we are living in in an idolatrous world And we are living in an idolatrous nation state. And here's the problem. Most people don't even realize it. Most people don't realize the amount of idols that are in our culture and really in every culture. Prior to going to Papua New Guinea as a full-time missionary, I worked in the corporate world. And I used to attend at least one professional conference every year. And the one conference that I'm thinking of has about 30,000 people who attend. And on the very last day, they usually have someone come in for entertainment. And they had a very famous comedian. If I said this person's name, you would all know who it is. And this person, in his act, he started making fun of God's prohibition against idol worship. Basically, he was saying, you know, today in the U.S., we don't have idols. We don't have big statues that we bow down to. And in so doing, he completely missed the point. You see, anything that we put ahead of God becomes an idol. Even the good things in our life that we do can become an idol if we put them above our Creator, our Lord, and our Savior. So we need to be careful about that as we go forward, as we share the gospel with our family, with our friends, with our coworkers, with our acquaintances, and with strangers from here to the end of the earth. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, We thank you so much for this day. We thank you for the fact that we are living in a free country where we can share 
your gospel message, and we think about our brothers and sisters who are living in places where that is not possible. Father, help us to do your will each and every day. Help us to reach out to the lost wherever we may find them and to be obedient to your call in all things. It is in your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.